everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to this very first edition of psychotic bump school for the brand new year of 2021 so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazing first show to kick off the brand new year uh, we have two returning champs coming and someone here for the very, very first time. So check out this lineup. We have the amazing Woodworth sisters returning. Yeah, those are Defana's girls, y'all. Defana Jackson, the late and great Defana Jackson. Her daughters, Journey Woodward, as well as Jackson Woodward, will be returning to share their experiences as collegiate athletes, uh, especially during the time of coronavirus and protests and election season. And uh, they're here to break it all down for us. That's Journey and Jackson Woodward returning to Psychotic Bum School. And it's my pleasure to welcome for the very first time comedian, screenwriter, film director. Oh, she does it all. She goes by the name of Alicia Cooper, ladies and gentlemen. She is an amazing, resilient, resourceful talent in Southern California. She's been breaking new ground with her filmmaking. Uh, she's here to talk to us about her two latest projects entitled Just Us, as well as Fat Stripper. <laughs> you don't want to miss that. So that's uh, going to be our lineup tonight. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to 2021 and this latest broadcast. And so in true Happy New Year fashion, uh, I got to rant a little bit, y'all. <laughs> yes, as I said, 2020 was quite a year and 2021 is now here to take it from here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can't think of anybody that was sad to see 2020 head on out the door. We were ready for 2021 because we have been through a lot. If you tuned into last week's show, we uh, did a well semi recap of the, uh, the, the major events of 2020, but you know, that's in our rear view mirror. Uh, of course, you know, there's still some lingering battles and we're going to talk about that a little bit before we kick off our show because the, the reset with the new year and the calendar, you know, the European calendar or whatever, it's more of a psychological thing. It's more of a, um, a sort of a way that we mentally prepare ourselves to uh, sort of benchmark the end of one era and the start of another. So it's really psychological, if anything. Um, and that's important because there are some carrying over or issues that are carrying over from last year into this year. For example, uh, Tuesday, January 5th is still the Georgia runoff election, okay? That's very, very important. So I wanna to talk to you about that. And uh, something very, very critical is happening on Wednesday, January 6th in terms of uh, certifying elections. So I, I wanna to talk to you about that, but let's talk about the weekend first. Uh, we are coming off a very historic weekend. According to the US Constitution, ladies and gentlemen, the Constitution uh, recommends or requires that on the third day of the new year, uh, I think every two years or something, don't quote me on that. They have to sit down and reconvene Congress so that a Speaker of the House is selected. Now, what's coming into 
governance right now is the 117th Congress. There are freshmen congressmen and women, and they have continued to add to the diversity of the House of Representatives. And over the weekend, the House of Representatives had to vote on Speaker of the House. Well, it came down to two candidates to the uh, deep chagrin of uh, certain and some progressives. Uh, it came down to Kevin McCarthy representing the Republicans and Nancy Pelosi representing the Democrats. Well, the Democrats have the majority and we've been long saying on this program how fractured the caucus can be sometimes on the Democratic side, maybe not sometime, but <laughs> it's pretty much par for course, but that's how the Democrats roll. And so I think the vote was uh, 216 to 209. Uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, has the gavel, okay? So she has been chosen again by the majority of the Democratic caucus to be the Speaker of the House for two more years. Now that's important because Nancy Pelosi is in her late 70s and when she took over the gavel a couple years ago, she had said that she was only going to do this one more time. Um, during the course of the, the last tenure, I believe, I think she said that if she is selected again to be Speaker of the House, this will be her final run at it, all right? And that will make some people very happy and will rise concerns or elevate concerns in others. Um, there's something about the Democratic left that uh, we are always on the brink of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. There were about five defections. A couple of people voted present. A uh, couple of people voted for, uh, one person voted for Tammy Duckworth out of Illinois and Hakeem Jeffries out of New York. And it's Hakeem Jeffries that people suspect will be the successor to Speaker of the House at some point, okay? Now, to a certain strain of the electorate on the left, uh, no matter who they select, they're not going to be satisfied because anybody that is a part of the House of Representatives and considers themselves to be on the left side of politics, they're never going to be progressive or communist enough to be considered worthy of the gavel because the squad uh, unanimously also voted for Nancy Pelosi. So that includes Ilan Omar, that includes uh, Rashida Tlaib, that includes Ayanna Presley, and of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, okay? And what you saw trending as a result on Twitter over the weekend was fraud squad. You know, the four of those ladies are famously and infamous, infamously referred to as the squad. Well, uh, progressives are big mad at them right now for selecting Nancy Pelosi. So again, you only had two options, all right? Now, Progressives will often tell you that there's many ways in which they could have blocked Nancy Pelosi from getting the gavel again. Um, most of it centered around just uh, claiming present. And, you know, when being asked to vote, you could just say present and not vote at all, okay, which is a, a strategy that's been talked about online. They could select someone that's not in the House because uh, there's a certain element uh, within the uh, progressive constituency that informs them that you don't have to be a sitting congressperson to become Speaker of the House. Now, I don't know if that's true, um, but I also know that uh, people don't like Nancy Pelosi. 
All right. Now, also over the weekend, her house was vandalized along with the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's house. Okay. Pelosi's in California, Mitch McConnell's in Kentucky. Both of their homes were vandalized and they wrote some things on McConnell's uh, house saying, uh, where's my check? Um, and some progressives, and notice I, I, I keep saying some, it's not all of them. It's not all the people on the left, but some are saying, see, people don't like Pelosi because she's only got a such and such approval rating and there's no difference between the two caucuses, okay? And I still maintain that they're not doing enough reading on their own and they have bought into their confirmation bias, whatever that echo chamber is that suggests that uh, both of them are doing the exact same work when it was only one of them that actually uh, has stood up to the, the outgoing occupant of the White House and impeached them. There's only one side that did that, the other side prevented it from happening, okay? Wasn't voted to remove in the Senate and that's McConnell's job, okay? They wouldn't even hear the evidence despite all the evidence that was brought over to the Senate. Uh, all of that started with Nancy Pelosi, okay? And Hakeem Jeffries was one of the, um, the attorneys that went over to the Senate to press the case to have Trump removed. Um, doesn't matter because no matter what he does from this point forward, he's always gonna have a big fat capital I next to his name in the history books. Doesn't matter if the Senate removed him, he's still forever impeached, okay? Nancy Pelosi made that happen. Nancy Pelosi passed bills uh, months ago through her caucus. The CARES Act passed. Uh, that was designed to bring some relief during the coronavirus. And that helped a lot of communities, small businesses. You know, they're not getting enough aid, but it also brought aid to students, you know, in terms of their uh, grants. And so they passed the HEROES Act soon after that. I think in uh, later in the spring, they passed a scaled down version of the, uh, the, the CARES Act again later, uh, closer to the fall, and they've been renegotiating all along. And so I don't wanna re-litigate all of those things, but I'm just saying that it's very interesting that people are big mad at somebody that is actually working to pass bills on behalf of the people and for a certain strain of the electorate, you know, they're never going to be satisfied because they don't like her. They don't like the idea of the two-party system that they feel that they feels blocks them out. That does give that does not give them a fair chance for their issues to get the the real sunlight uh, that it deserves. Okay. Now I'll say that Joe Biden is making an effort with this incoming administration to extend an olive branch to progressives, and the Sunrise Movement is an example of that as to uh, a progressive tenant that they speak uh, quite fondly of and they want to make sure that climate change is brought to the top of the uh, Biden agenda. And the Sunrise Movement is a progressive movement and they have members that are involved intimately with the crafting of policy along with Joe Biden's team, okay? Now, they acknowledge that they're having a hard time threading that needle, that needle because if you're going to be an activist, if you're gonna be pushing, 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 which is what activists do, it's kind of hard to walk through the halls of uh, Congress and sort of lead sort of a, a vicarious life. You know, that, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. It's sort of like invisible man, you're, you're a part of, but you're separate. And so you're straddling that fence between your activism 
And being somebody that works in Congress and trying to uh, sort of work with both sides, okay? Because they have progressive members in Congress that have just been sworn in. And they're going to find out very quickly, just like the squad has, that you have to negotiate with people in order to get things done. And it's not just you're going to just get in there and just run roughshod over the process. Um, we have a lot of work to do on the left because most of the fighting that's going to occur after Joe Biden is sworn in is going to involve uh, the, the, the notion that people are going to be trying to primary all these uh, what they call establishment Democrats because they, you know, and, you know, we'll be talking about it. You know, I don't, I don't want to go too deeply into it, but it, it, it largely involves the fact that until they themselves are wielding the, the, the gavel of power, they're not going to be satisfied with anybody that comes uh, forward to a position of power or leadership. Okay, they're always going to point to something. It, it doesn't matter what these people do. It's never enough. And there's always Google and there's always that one person that's going to find something that um, these politicians, a position that they took years ago, or maybe they kicked a cat in 1972, you know, and I'm being silly and facetious, of course, but that's the level of vitriol that's extended to people like Nancy Pelosi. But nevertheless, she will be heading the 117th Congress. Uh, she was voted in by 209 to 206. And the only reason why it was 206 on the Republican side, because interestingly enough, the Republicans didn't lose a single person. They all lined up behind Kevin McCarthy. They didn't have a single defection. So that's just the nature of Republicans. They fall in line. They just get in line and it's far simpler for them. Democrats, not so much, but it should have actually been 207 at least, uh, possibly 208 in the uh, Republican caucus. And the reason why it wasn't was because recently 41-year-old Congressman-elect Luke Letlaw uh, just recently died of COVID. He was a Republican. Uh, I have to look up and see what state he represented, but he had just won an election and he was in Louisiana. That was, he was representing Louisiana. He just won an election in Shreveport and um, he contracted COVID. Now he's someone that had recently changed his behavior and changed his tune about coronavirus, but he was one of those that for a long time was resisting wearing a mask, was resisting the whole idea of COVID. And um, he was only diagnosed one month ago. And uh, less than 30 days later, he's gone. 41 years old, Luke Letlaw, he's gone. And so because of that, uh, the vote over the weekend for the 117th Congress did not include him. Uh, he left behind a wife and two small children, very small children. So it's unfortunate, you know, this, this isn't a joke, okay? Coronavirus is still wrecking shop. There's 350,000 people and counting that are dead in this country, okay? They're even detecting a new strain of the virus, okay? And, you know, throughout this year or throughout 2020 and also what's going to happen in 2021, we're going to be bringing back some experts in the medical field and epidemiologists. And we're going to be talking about uh, what this all means, you know, because the vaccine is rolling out. Uh, I think it's called Pfizer and people are getting the vaccine. People are skeptical. So uh, we're going to have to have some conversations about that um, as well. Okay. So all of that happened over the weekend, vandalizing, uh, coronavirus still racking up 
uh, bodies. It's so, so sad. Uh, we're starting off 2021 like that. Um, also, I said this, I don't wanna get too deep before uh, running out of time, but we also have um, a Georgia runoff election coming up tomorrow and it, it's on, okay? And believe it or not, uh, as you know already, you should know by now, Joe Biden won the state of Georgia by 12,000 votes. The Trump administration is still not accepting those results. He's still trying to get the, uh, the Secretary of State, Raflinsberger, to not certify the election. Well, it's been certified already, but uh, over the weekend, uh, a tape was released where uh, it was a phone call between Trump and the Secretary of State and his attorney, and it's clearly Trump's voice talking about, I need you to find me 11,000 votes because I really won this election. You know, I won it big. And, you know, people in Georgia are angry because they don't think this was fair. And, you know, you're a Republican. This looks bad. And people are really upset about it. It's on tape. Now, some people are saying impeach him again. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, those are grounds for impeachment. But, this time we're hearing it loud and clear. Now, this is the same guy and these are the same uh, people that support him that say uh, they didn't have a case when they impeached him before because the impeachment was all about Ukraine and him putting pressure on a foreign power to help him investigate a political opponent. So given that this evidence now is out there about this tape and him pressuring an American this time, to turn over election results. You really, really think that he was truthful in that there was no evidence that he put pressure on a foreign power to help him beat Joe Biden? It failed, but he, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a perpetual fabricator. <laughs> I'll just put it like that. I'm trying to be nicer in 2021. Well, no, I'm not, not toward that side. Um, we, so that's still happening. And what's unfortunate, okay, in addition to the Georgia runoff that's concluding tomorrow where now the Democrats are favored to win, okay? I gotta give props to the grassroots organizations like Fair Fight Action, uh, the Georgia, uh, oh my God, the, the, oh, don't get me started. I gotta, I gotta name check these names right here to make sure that they're correct. But all of these uh, organizations have played a huge role and making sure that they flip the Senate. And that includes grassroots organizations like the Georgia NAACP, um, the New Georgia Project, uh, Stacey Abrams, like I said, Fair Fight. Uh, she has a colleague named Inse Ufat. Uh, they've been getting it done. They have actually increased turnout from the general election and they have actually found about 80,000 new voters that didn't participate in the general election. Uh, they have found voters that just turned 18 that were not old enough to vote in the general election and they have registered them, registered them to vote, not only that, but they have voted, okay? So that's why they're saying that this race now favors Raphael Warnock, who's a Democrat, and John Ossoff, who's a Democrat, against Warnock's opponent, Kelly Leffler, who's a Republican, as well as Ossoff's opponent, who's David Perdue, okay? They've been uh, running neck and neck for the longest time. Uh, it's still within the margin of error, but right now the Democrats are ahead. I'm just gonna say the Democrats are gonna shock the world and take these two seats. I don't care if I'm wrong, I ain't scared. 
because the writing is on the wall. They cannot win a fair fight. They cannot win a stand up, straight up, fair election. They're always trying to cheat, just like Trump is trying to do right now. But stop estimating them sisters, because if you want to see what real progressivism is about, look at these sisters in Georgia, Democrats, for the blueprint on how to get it done. It's not just about spending all this money on ads. You got to put money on the ground. You got to put resources on the ground and support these grassroots organizations that are getting it done. And once again, these black folks are saving this country from itself. You get these two seats, you have a chance to get something done in the Biden-Harris administration. And speaking of that, on January 6th, on Wednesday, Mike Pence, the outgoing uh, vice president, will oversee the certification of the election results. Now, people have been uh, holding his feet to the fire. No, they haven't. They've been threatening him. Let me just call it what it is. Uh, you've heard me mention on this show, attorney Lynn Wood. Well, he's been out there saying that uh, Mike Pence needs to be burned at the stake if he does not, uh, you know, stand up for Donald Trump. You know, Mike Pence's job is no different than Joe Biden's job was uh, four years ago, no different than Richard Nixon's job was, no different than Al Gore's job was. Any outgoing vice president oversees the election results and all his job is, is to open the envelope and read it, okay? He cannot selectively decide to count votes or not. It's not gonna happen. You have a whole lot of objectors that have lined up behind uh, this congressman named Josh Hawley. He's an aspiring congressman who's a, a Trump sycophant who's apparently has ambitions to further his career and advance his career. He's saying he's going to oppose the election results. And so since that time, he's gotten uh, senators uh, like Ted Cruz and others to join him in this fight and resisting the results that have been certified in all 50 states. So this is ridiculous. This is what Republicans are doing right now. It's going to fail just like everything else. And Mike Pence is going to oversee a, a, a traditional certification of the election results on Wednesday, January 6th. There's nothing they can do to stop it. They're going to try to slow it down and maybe they will, but it's still going to happen. And then after that, two weeks left. So uh, they get sworn in on January 20th, Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. We're just within 17 days of it, y'all. And so we couldn't be any better positioned to uh, start the countdown. And um, we, we just got to get to it. We're within 17 days, y'all. 17 days.
want to find uh, 11,780 votes. Donald Trump just will not stop. Just released is what Watergate reporter Carl Bernstein is calling the ultimate smoking gun. Donald Trump caught on tape on Saturday, January 2nd, asking Georgia election officials to find the votes he needs to win in the state. Georgia are angry, and these numbers are going to be repeated on Monday night, along with others that we're going to have by that time, which are much more substantial even, and the people of Georgia are angry, the people of the country are angry, and there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Now, do you think it's possible that they uh, shredded ballots in uh, Fulton County? Because that's what the rumor is. And also that Dominion took out machines. Uh, that Dominion is really moving fast to get rid of their uh, machinery. Do you know anything about that? Because that's illegal. No, Ryan Germany. No, Dominion has not um, moved any machinery out of Fulton County. We're having. Well, but no, but, but have they moved? Have they have they moved the inner parts of the machines and replaced them with other parts? No. You sure, Ryan? I'm sure. All right, there it is. Stay tuned for more, y'all. Coming up later, we'll have comedian and filmmaker Alicia Cooper joining us. And coming up right after this break, we'll have the returning sisters, Journey and Jackson Woodward. So stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with Journey and Jackson after this. Black. Black, black, black. <laughs> black on black, black. Yeah, hey. Okay, black, 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 black on black, black, my thoughts so black, black, black on black, my skin is so black, I'm rocking that black on black is black. black rims on this black, black wheels in this black, black wheel with this black, black, so black on black on black on black on black, 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 black on black, black, my thoughts so black, black, black on black, my 
skin is so black, I'm rocking all black, everything is black. Black rims on this black wheels, black is black, black wheel, put this black, black on black, 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 black. Yes, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. This program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, I've been catching up with folks in the brand new year of 2021 to see how they've been doing after the onset of coronavirus and after a certain amount of time has elapsed. I definitely want to check in once again. We have a couple of guests that are returning again, two of my favorites. Uh, they have both respectively embarked upon their careers in track and field at the collegiate level. And one was starting her collegiate career and one was entering her senior year. And then all of that stuff went down uh, in 2020. So I definitely want to get caught up with these two sisters who uh, are very near and dear to this show. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good young sisters, Journey Woodward and Jackson Woodward. Journey, Jackson, are you there? Yes, sir. Hey, 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 what in the world is happening with y'all? How are y'all doing? Happy New Year. Uh, doing good, happy New Year to you and happy holidays to everyone listening. Absolutely, absolutely. So, oh man, uh, just, just give me an idea what it's been like. Uh, I'm gonna turn to your little sister first, Journey. Jackson, you were just starting your freshman year uh, at CSUN, uh, almost at CSUN. Wait, is that considered insulting? I know it's not CSUN, but- No, no, you're okay. good. If you said Fullerton, it would have. Ooh, okay, I'm glad I didn't say that. But, <laughs> okay, so Long Beach, uh, what was your first year like and uh, how in the world did you cope with the, uh, with the onrush of coronavirus as a freshman student uh, attending college, uh, Jackson Woodward? Uh, my first semester was actually really good. It was cool and it was fun to adapt to the college uh, situation. But then, of course, COVID happened and then things went downhill fast. So it was really hard to go from like having a lot of freedom to not being able to do anything to being on lockdown and then having to eventually go home. So that was a really tough adjustment, but it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have a lot of contact with Journey during that time? Because I know Journey was uh, across the country while you were going through all that. Yeah, we did. We stayed in contact, I feel like more than usual, because of mm -hmm. the tough circumstances and you just like need to check on people in this time. Oh, so we definitely had more communication, which was important and very helpful. Absolutely. Journey, what do you remember about that time? Because I, I spoke to you about how challenging it was when all of that was going down with the protests and whatnot and communicating with Jackson to keep her, uh, I don't know, like a check-in, just like she said, we know we gotta, there, there was something floating around on social media, we gotta check on our strong friends. Uh, we gotta check on our strong family members too, Journey. So uh, what do you recall about that time that Jackson was just uh, reflecting upon? Um, what I remember about that time, um, I was with LSU Track and Field. We were getting ready to go to NCAAs um, indoor for um, to mark off our indoor season when, um, everything quite literally uh, went crazy. Uh, so April, I really had that whole month, um, especially with my roommates who are also on the LSU track and field team to do a whole lot of nothing, you know, and really uh, mm -hmm. mourn the, the season that we were all looking forward to. And, uh, you know, I think by the end of April, I really started turning things around and focusing more on uh, school and finishing that out. <laughs> Mm -hmm. because finishing school at the end of the pandemic I mean it was uh it was freaking hard room not gonna lie <laughs> oh my god oh my god everything so was how, just so turned around absolutely so how hard was it journey <laughs> <laughs> 
scale one to ten, eleven. Uh, turn that all the way up to eleven. I, I feel like everybody, everybody really felt the the effects. Uh, what was it like when you got back to campus? And then Jackson, I want to hear about your experience as well. Well, Rome, I think it's very important to um, also take into account uh, the state, um, the the state of America that I was in at that time, mm. uh, Louisiana, mm-hmm. which is a, a completely different environment and culture than uh, yeah. what I'm what I'm you know what I grew up with and what I'm used to, which is uh, California. That's right. Um, a much more quote unquote liberal state, if you if you want to say mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think a lot of people were upset and, and angry a lot of young pe- uh, younger people like myself um, mm. around my age who are really um, upset and taking the social media and holding those in those in power uh, accountable especially on campus um, right. with a lot of uh, you know uh, murals on campus depicting um, um, white savior uh, mm. imagery okay. you know but those were you know, being taken into account of and um, being changed. And just of what I've seen in this past semester, I mean, it's only a few short months, but what I've seen in this past semester is just a lot more of a uh, social awakening and uh, just being a a lot more social awareness. Um, A lot of people on both sides, (laughs) on both sides are just really, um, you know, there's a lot of anger, uh, frustration, sadness but then you see like people in the older generation who are a bit more you know I I I the only words that I can really come up with is just like being okay with the way that things were or how they continue to be but um people in the younger generation I think uh, are not okay with how things have been you know and are continuing to you know step up um socially in these situations Hmm, interesting. Okay, Jackson, stand by one second. So Journey, you, you said that there was, okay, I hear the, that there was some frustration and anger on both sides of the issues, right? And then mm-hmm. you also highlighted the differences between Louisiana and California, where your sister Jackson is still attending school, and you grew right. up in California. So going from a liberal uh, state to a more conservative state, and the, I mean, even though people tout Jackson and your generation to sort of be the future and they, they uphold it to a, a, a standard uh, that gives people some something to look forward to that the next generation coming up will do better than the previous one on certain issues. Uh, it sounds mm-hmm. like, uh, I just wanna make sure I heard you correctly when you talked about uh, the reverence that people, not only uh, the conservative older folks that have a affinity for the status quo and not wanting to upset the apple cart too much, but you also dealt with people who may have been actually disappointed in you for uh, speaking out, you know, as if, you know, people in your generation, I mean, they're certainly not monolithic, they're entitled to their individual thought, but I was mm-hmm. wondering if you could go in a little, can you tell us a little bit more about the nuances of those interactions before we go to Jackson? Uh, was it tense? Was it awkward? Was it a surprise to you? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, so when are, are you referring to when I went back to campus or when, when I campus. was? Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So when I went back to campus, of course, things were um, a bit a bit tense, but I think having something in a place in a, um, you know, like a, a track and field team with a goal to get ready for the next season 
also helped in that. And I think, you know, off the track, uh, you know, I had to have those hard conversations about, you know, uh, explain, I mean, face to face. I mean, I had talked to people over, you know, social media and on the phone about, um, you know, um, my point of view. Um, but mm-hmm. to revisit those conversations and have a face to face conversation, you know, those were a bit harder and, uh, you know, a lot more emotionally demanding mm-hmm. and uh, taxing, you know, but mm-hmm. I think having that balance of like, okay, what I said, you know, I said what I said, and I'm, I stand right. by what I said, I'm not going back on what I said, and you, uh, I'm just saying like a general you, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, you may have your own way of thinking and your own way of perceiving. I mean, everybody is a human being and they have their own uh, perspective, point of view and opinion on other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if I'm, if you understand your truth, I understand my truth, then mm-hmm. we should be able to, I mean, you don't have to agree with me, but we should be mm-hmm. able to move forward, whether that is uh, still in friendship, whether you decide you, yeah. uh, both parties don't want a friendship anymore mm-hmm. based upon what that other person said mm-hmm. you know just a lot of I've, I've had to do a lot of you know actual thinking and considering and Absolutely. you know also just like spiritual growth about uh mm-hmm. what energies do I want to surround myself with mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah I feel you I feel you so Jackson I'm I'm going to guess that during that time you were in communication with Journey and even though you've been in California Uh, I'm going to take y'all back. This is before certainly Jackson was able to vote in 2016 when we had the election in 2016 and then 2017 arrived. And it was actually California, Jackson, that actually started, uh, was one of the first states in the country that was showing all these, uh, these, uh, uh, well, how can I say it? They, they were videos, they were nicknamed videos with white women who were speaking from their place of entitlement and calling the police unnecessarily on black folks. And people were shocked that the first major one that went viral came from where? The state of California, which as Journey's been saying, Jackson, is sort of a, a bastion of liberalism. And you would think that it would be far more tolerant, even under an administration like we are coming out of right now. And I definitely want to talk to you all about that a little bit too. But Jackson, you've been in California this whole time and Journey's been on the other side of the country. What do you recall about when you reflect upon that time when uh, George Floyd was happening and your sister was back uh, down South and you were out here in California? Jackson, what was that time like for you? I think a lot of people were extremely enraged by the situations that were happening and so like I definitely noticed it was more of a depressing time for like all of California because I live in NorCal but I go to school in SoCal so I was able to see like both and then also being a part of a team I was able to see how it affected not only the African-Americans on the team but like everybody Mm -hmm. and so I would just say it was kind of just like a statewide of depression honestly Mm -hmm. Um, and then going back home in Oakland where it's predominantly um, African-American and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um, Mm -hmm. it was a lot of rioting a lot of looting a lot of protests um, and stuff like that Mm -hmm. we were able to join some of the protests which was nice because they were all peaceful but you could just see how many people were 
upset about it. And what shook me the most was that at those protests, it was actually like a lot of non people of color mm-hmm. trying to stand mm-hmm. up, which I think is what we need, right? Because you, they do have the privilege and you do need them to be on your side in order for things to change. That's just how it is. So yeah. for when people use their privilege as a good thing, then I think that's really special and important. Standing on the issues that you you care about and as you go forward into uh, 2021, um, how secure do you feel uh, with the state of your vote, the state of your uh, optimism heading into 2021? I always give Journey the hardest questions. <laughs> and It's because uh, I'm the oldest, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Jackson can handle it. She, she's handling hers. But... Uh, Talk to us about your uh, voting experience really quick. And I, I want to hear from Jackson as well. Um, what can you tell us about people in your generation and what it meant to you to participate in the 2020 election and what that means for you now going into 2021? Journey, can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I can't really speak for the whole entire generation, uh, sadly. You can't? I'm so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, for me, I, I was in Louisiana, so I... Um, I got an absentee ballot so that I could, I mean, that was my first time voting and my first time uh, absentee uh, voting. So that was very interesting. I, I just wanted to make sure I did everything right. Um, I mean, so many conspiracies leading up to, (laughs) uh, you know, not counting ballots and (laughs) misplacing ballots and all this, all of this. Yeah. It was, Mm -hmm. it was a lot. (laughs) It was. was. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, I, as I looked into it and did more research, of course I went in and I was like, Biden, you know, I'm voting for Biden period. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I started, I started thinking more about how sure, you know, overall Mm -hmm. government, uh, the the federal Mm -hmm. government has final say, but it's Mm -hmm. really your local government who has so much more, (laughs) uh, power and control in your state. And I mean, in 2021 of May, I mean, I mean, in May of 2021, I'm moving back to California to, to pursue, you know, a career in um, filmmaking, uh, television, and I mean, Hollywood in general. Um, So (laughs) I was like, wait, hold on, I need to sit down and think about who I want in local government. (laughs) Really? Mm, Look at that. Um, Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that was, that was really, I mean, that was really powerful shift in my thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it was, um, I, I think it was that point that I, I had, like, I was like, okay, I've made it, you know, like, I mm-hmm. finally, I finally combed through all of the noise, all of the noise of social mm-hmm. media, all of the noise of um, family and friends, all, all of this noise. And I got down to the bottom of it of what do I personally want to go through? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what am I going to spend my taxpayer money, uh, money on, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm going to be paying taxes in California, like period. <laughs> like, yeah. like that was really powerful for me. Um, mm. And when it comes to, you know, the federal government, yes, I did. I did vote for Biden um, mm-hmm. and his vice president, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I also looked into their, their pasts um, right. as far as, you know, what, what they've done to get where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I, we do not need another, <laughs> we do not need another four years with uh, Trump in office. It's very, uh, 
uh, personally to me, it's very de- detrimental uh, to my health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I, I just want to know what they're going to do now mm-hmm. that they're in. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, if 2020 taught me anything is don't get comfortable. Don't get That's comfortable, right. man. That's and I'm right. just like, all right, like we, we, we done did it. We can, we can celebrate that for sure. I'm celebrating mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. what's next? Literally <laughs> like that song. What's next? Like, come on. Like what's 2021 going to bring? What's 2022, 23, 24. What are that. you going to do with these next four years? Because I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of BS. I'm, I'm tired of it. And I, I'm going to do everything in my, in my power to vote for, you know, um, local government when it comes across from it. But like I said earlier, federal government has the final say, so it doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter in local government, but Hey, who are we voting in and look past all the noise, look past all of the, uh, the tweets and the news articles and the social media BS, just Mm -hmm. what, what is really going on here? Mm. You know, love that. Love that. Was, was, did you vote in 2016? Were you old enough? No, I was not. I was 17 I so. at that time. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think so. Okay. Yeah. So Jackson, this is, uh, I don't think, I, I, I'm almost positive, Jackson, that I didn't vote at your age. My first vote was probably, uh, it wasn't at 18. So uh, what has the, the voting experience done for you, Jackson, uh, in lieu of what Journey just shared? Um, Talk to us about that a little bit, about how it's uh, further fueling your optimism for 2021. Jackson, that's a pretty loaded question for you now, but Journey expressed a lot of faith in you, and so do I. <laughs> so Jackson, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so voting, I've never like felt more ready to do something before. Oh, um, oh. But it was definitely, I didn't, okay. This is how uneducated I was. I literally thought that you vote for the president and that's it I didn't realize mm-hmm. that like the and especially for LA County like it was like three four pages of people to like yes. vote for um yes. so it was definitely it took me a while um because I really wanted to make sure I was educated mm-hmm. on everyone on mm-hmm. that ballot so I made sure to go on everyone's campaign page and read about them yeah. and I also oh, I yeah I also um completed the ballot with a few of my friends so that was it was pretty cool to see like a bunch of us like you said my generation Mm -hmm. but a bunch of us um all engaged Mm and wanting to actually like change for better um like we probably put more effort into that ballot than we did like our schoolwork (laughs) wow like we actually sat down and researched and read and I don't like reading so reading everyone's campaign strategy was not it but I think it was it was really it was a cool time to see Mm -hmm. a lot of people and especially like how TikTok is booming right now with a lot of people from my generation it was Mm -hmm. great to see people with like big platforms using Mm -hmm. using it this time and trying to educate the younger kids on um amazing just the different just a different political opinions and why mm-hmm. i guess why you sh- not that you should think a certain way mm-hmm. but like just looking at morals and ethics really did you see an equal balance of men and women doing that in your generation both of you 
I think uh, uh, personally, what I've what I've experienced with the Black Student Athlete Association at um, at LSU, uh, <laughs> um, we are a mixture of you know uh, young Black women and uh, young Black men, and I think just surrounding myself with those characters, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, personally, just just surrounding yourself with people I mean not not just like-minded people because I I do believe in you know um not participating in uh in group think uh mm-hmm. to a point to which it can be detrimental but um I think just surrounding yourself with with people who are excited to get educated and excited to you know and really recognize that this is our future we're talking about like this mm-hmm. is in in 20 years what do we want to look back and say that we did you know what are we going to tell our future our future families about what we did and Mm -hmm. did we just stand on the sidelines because i'm telling you right now in 20 years if you if you tell Mm -hmm. your friends yeah i just didn't participate i just they're gonna look at you crazy they're gonna be like um you didn't you know silence is violence they're gonna start bringing up all them slogans again seeing a black woman coming in as vice president what does that do for you um you know that uh (laughs) it's it's cool it's cool it is it's cool um that's not enough for me (laughs) like you i need i need to see what you've done in the past i I need to see what you've done in the past i i can't see the future but Mm -hmm. i want to see your plan for the future i want to i want to nitpick every single thing that you say like because Mm -hmm. this is you have lives in the balance okay mm-hmm. with this job with any well i mean not with any job but with this particular job you have lives in in your in your hands mm-hmm. i'm going to i'm going to nitpick every single thing that you say so mm-hmm. it is really cool that um the vice president elect is a a black woman that's mm-hmm. I- empowering mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's not enough it's not enough mm-hmm. And yeah, that's just my personal opinion. Jackson, you got one? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I feel like just being a black or because I think she's half Indian, half black, just being like a black president elect isn't going to be enough for these times. I definitely feel like it's a it's a def- like it gives you brownie points. <laughs> Of course, that's but that's right. probably biased because I am black. But yeah. it's it's not gonna be enough. It's like your actions that happen because if just say if there was a black Trump, I still wouldn't agree with what he did. And just because he's black doesn't mean yes. that that everything's gonna be okay and you get you get a pass. Like I definitely <laughs> need to see you like back up what you say you're gonna do. Um, yeah and improve this country because this country does definitely need some help oh don't we though this is kcwg the truth.com's program's called psychotic bump school i'm dj rome that was jackson woodward and a moment prior to that was journey woodward uh i asked y'all both this uh we're, we're gonna land the plane in just a few minutes but i ask you both of this because i voted twice for barack obama and i cannot begin to tell you how many times i encounter people and you know albeit on social media People are big mad at Barack Obama, the first and only black president we've ever had. And they are so disenchanted with him. They said he did nothing. They say he dragged us backward. They say that he didn't fight for black people. They say he gave all these freedoms to all these other groups, but did absolutely nothing for his own people. And 
I cannot lie. I get big mad when I see them talking about that. Because like one of you said, it's like, it is important to keep an open mind. It is okay to have varying opinions about these issues. And it's okay that someone doesn't agree with me full stop on every single thing. But if you cannot assess the impact of Barack Obama with, you know, you, and you do that without also considering how much obstruction and how much people hated him just because of the color of his skin. And now you are skeptical about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and you won't even give them a chance. So it just kind of makes me look sideways at them. And it, it, it's, I, I would say it's heartbreaking, but I'm too much of a fighter to say that because I'm here for it. I mean, it, it feels like most of the battles we're going to have now is going to be people within our own community and our own political families, you know, and I'm not just talking about black people. I'm just talking about people who may have voted for Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. We're going to have a lot to discuss just amongst those ranks. And they're going to be informing a lot of uh, how the national discourse is going to be shaped because it's going to be some tense battles because we have a lot of people who are dissatisfied uh, even though they voted for Joe Biden or they completely chose to abstain altogether. Well, um, continued success to you both. And Journey was talking about feeling uh, really grown right now. And I can hear it in her voice. And Jackson, I can definitely hear it in yours. I can hear the change and sense and feel the change in your spirit since the last time uh, you were here speaking with us. Mm -hmm. And this, I mean, 2020 has shaped us. I mean, we, we all had to grow faster than what we planned to. And I can certainly hear that in both of you. I'm so proud of you both. It's always a joy to talk to you both. I know Journey has a social media platform with the, uh, the Tuesdays with Journey and she's had that going on. I think you put that on hold for a little bit to focus more on school. Am I right, Journey? Or is that still, uh, you picking that back up soon? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually not picking back up Tuesdays with Journey. I decided to, um, to end it around uh, May earlier this year. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did like you. I, I started a podcast, but uh, my, my podcast is a little bit newer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, snap. Okay. How do we find that podcast? This is great. So uh, my podcast can be found anywhere. I mean, from Apple Podcasts to Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, it's mm -hmm. called Frequently Unanswered, uh, where mm -hmm. me and my best friend Troy um, just answer, and answer questions that are uh, frequently not you know asked within you know oh. your family or your friends oh, just yeah. uh more of life stuff rather than uh -huh. it, it's separate from what I um what I do with um with school uh with LSU and for athletics it's it's just something that um I turned into a, a, a business so I can't really talk about it too much in conjunction mm -hmm. with um athletics with LSU right. but it's, right. it's just something really cool that I can see me doing for the for the rest of my life. Oh, love that. Oh, we got another one, y'all. Absolutely. Well, there, there's <laughs> you plenty changed of... me, Rome. You changed me. Oh, come on. You're still <laughs> too kind. You're too kind. I'm excited to hear that. I'm going to have to check that out. So the, the quickest way for people to find that will be how, Journey? Uh, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we do have an Instagram page um, called at Frequently Pod. Frequently Pod. Okay. And the show is called Frequently Unanswered? Yes, sir. That's tight. That's tight. Love it. Thank you so much, Journey Woodward. And Jackson, uh, I don't, how, are you socially media uh, mm. present? Uh, yeah. Are you? 
Okay, I, well, what's your platform? I mainly use Instagram. My Instagram's just at Jackson Woodward. Um, mm. Yeah, that's it. That's all I use. <laughs> well, that is plenty. It is all that you need for right now. And uh, this is great. Uh, Journey Jackson, you know we love you here and uh, you're both so inspirational. Will you come back and join us sometime again on Psychotic Bump School throughout 2021? Definitely, I'd love to. Oh, we'd love to you. Absolutely, thank you both. Thank you both. Well, this is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, that was Journey Woodward and Jackson Woodward, y'all. Stay tuned for more, we're right back after this. We are back. KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we are kicking off the new year with some very, very talented guests uh, coming out of 2020, which was beriddled with uh, uh, the remnants of coronavirus and the resounding impact that it's had on the nation, the world, the planet, all of us within our respective communities. And people have had to find ways to, to get by, to get along. And uh, some people have had to find a new way of doing so. Well, uh, we have a very talented guest on the line right here. I'm so excited to meet her. Uh, she's actually a comedian and a filmmaker. And it turns out she's embarking upon something um, uh, that, that's pretty exciting. I'm really, really looking forward to talking to her. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time the Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Alicia Cooper. Miss Cooper, Yay! I'm here. Thank you so much, Rome, for having me. This is so awesome. I'm really excited about doing this today. Well, thank you. You are on the very inaugural episode of 2021. So uh, I, I just got to ask, how was your 2020? <laughs> wow, my 2020 was very interesting because it started out so awesome. Right. So New Year's Eve, I had a big show at the world famous comedy store on Sunset Boulevard, the most famous comedy club in the world. Yes, My is. name is on the wall at the world famous comedy store with Richard Pryor and George Carlin and Paul Mooney and Eddie mm. Murphy. And just, just when you get your name on the wall of the comedy store, you feel like, okay, 
my legacy is set. You know, I, I you feel right. like, okay, my, my talents were noticed and, and add some value to it because at that point you become a paid regular. And I was, I was so blessed 2019. Mm. I was so blessed because as a paid regular, I was always getting booked in the main room and that's where you want to get booked because Ooh. that's where the money is better. So what that did for me was I no longer had to travel. I would stay in LA. I would work at the comedy store on Friday and Saturday. I would work for myself all, all the other days during the daytime. And I was very productive. 2019 was beautiful. And then I worked mm. New Year's Eve, main room of the comedy store. I still had the flyer. I had a flyer made, gorgeous flyer. And I'm like, 2020, this is that. That's perfect vision. Bring it on. This is, yes. this is gonna be my year. So, and it started out great that mm. year because I decided I was gonna switch over from um, stand-up comedy and acting, I was going to switch over to filmmaking. Mm. So, and at that point, I had already directed a short film called Trade. That's a half-hour short film. And you can actually see that one on an, uh, a network called Urban Flicks, Urban F-L-I-X uh, TV. And you can see Trade there. But I had a great time. I wrote it. And I wrote it with, well, I wanted it to be a feature film, but I couldn't get up enough money. So I wrote <laughs> it as a short and uh, Urban Flicks bought it as a short. And, um, you know, so nice. I, I, I didn't know how it was going to do. And it did gangbusters. It got it a lot of film festivals. It's the number one watch thing on the Urban Flicks television right. network. I mean, this half hour short, it's the most talked about, too, because it's about a water cooler subject matter. So um, mm. I had done that and I was ready to do some other stuff. I have a ton of projects in my hard drive that I've written. And I have to write my own stuff because unlike other groups of people that are more fortunate, I'm probably not going to get hired to direct something someone else wrote. So that means I have to do it myself. So, which is, which is not a problem because I know the characters and I'm able to sell it even better because it's my baby. So that's what happened with Trey. So now I'm going into 2020. I want to go to Sundance Film Festival. I didn't get in. But I, I wanted to go as a, you know, anybody can go to Sundance. So I got all the research done. People who went before told me exactly what I needed to do. I stayed at this house with some people in an organization I'm a part of called Women in Film. We had a big house in um, Utah. It was called, I think it was called Deer Park or something, or Park, no, Park City. Mm -hmm. We stayed in Park City. And the way they set it up at Sundance, like practically every, you know, quarter of a mile, there's a bus stop. So the house we were in, you walk right out the house. It's freezing cold because it's January, but you walk right out the house and there's a bus stop. So you stand the bus stop and you ride over to whatever theater what you want to see is being played in. So you get a big old, well, now everything's on your app. You look at the app and like, I want to see this. I want to see that. I want to see this. And you pay for everything individually if you didn't already buy a package. So mm. I, you know, I just had a great time in Sundance. I'm watching a documentary because I love documentaries. And this documentary is bananas. It's so good. So they said, we're going to do a question and answer afterwards. So and when you go to Park City, everybody has a backpack, all your stuff, everything you're trying to promote, everything you, you get from other things, you shove everything in your backpack. So I haven't had a backpack since college. So I have my little backpack and the, the documentary ends. And they said, now we're going to do a question and answer with a few of the, with the um, executive producers and the main subjects of the documentary. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be great. Mm -hmm. So I turn my phone on, all of a sudden it's uh, all these, uh, you know, 
vibrations are coming through my phone. Like, I'm like, what just happened? Mm. All of a sudden, I hear people gasping. I look on my phone and Kobe Bryant's plane crashed. What? I said, I couldn't believe what I was reading. That was the first shot across the bow, right? First shot across. That was the beginning of where mm -hmm. my 2020 was trying to go. Absolutely. So I'm like, and back then, remember the first day, they had people on a plane that wasn't even on the plane. They had Rick Fox on the plane. You know, like they, they, right. they, like they had all these. I was like, oh my God, Kobe, his daughter, Rick Fox. Like, I'm just like, the oh, whole starting lineup of the yeah, 2010 yeah. championship team, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they just, the, the early reports just botched stuff. And now yeah. I can't even function. So right. I just, I grabbed right. my backpack and I leave. I never even stayed mm -hmm. for the QA because that's how shook I was. Mm -hmm. And that was the mm -hmm. beginning of my 2020 going in a certain direction. So then my birthday's March 2nd. So I had a birthday party March 5th. And then I was supposed that I think it was like a Saturday or something. That Monday, mm -hmm. I was supposed to go to um do a week's worth of shows at the the improv in Lake Tahoe. Now mm -hmm. I've been headlining Lake Tahoe, Tahoe probably for like five years. So it's really good money. So I was like, okay, good. I'm gonna go get this money mm -hmm. at Lake Tahoe. I leave on Wednesday. So Monday, you go Wednesday through Sunday, your last show is Sunday, you fly back the following Monday. I get an email that Monday, two days, and I got my flight and everything, my room is reserved because they do that. Mm -hmm. I get an email saying that the Lake Tahoe Improv is closing down due to COVID. Mm, well. I lost so much money two days oh, before no. I was supposed to go. Now the person that went the week before got all their money. Mm -hmm. I was one week off and uh -huh. all my gigs got canceled. Everything just tanked. No money coming in. Oh, zero God. money. Then by around May, people started doing little Zoom shows, mm -hmm. you know, for a couple dollars. But mm -mm. so I said, you know, right. what? I can't sit around here like this. I'm going to drive myself crazy. Now, March and April, I slept. I didn't even realize how tired I was, but I slept for two months. Mm -hmm. Then once the end of April, I got up and was like, and part of it could have even been depression, realizing how much money I lost and nothing's really coming in. Absolutely. So, so now I'm, I'm up. It's the end of April. And I said, okay, what are you going to do? I said, this is a pandemic. I can't do nothing. You know, so I decided I'm going to start writing some short films and I'm going to direct them and produce them. So I found a crew willing to work with me in a coronavirus. So mm. I told them everything. I said, for this first one, which was called Just Us, I said, we're, I, I'm going to send everybody a link and this is where you can go get COVID tested for free. So mm. everybody in the crew went and got their COVID test. And then I had hand sanitizer, gloves. Um, I had uh, uh, a mask, antibacterial wipes. Uh, what else? I had uh, individually packaged foods and snacks. Of mm -hmm. course, the drinks are individual already. And then um, you're already then following the CDC guidelines. Look at you. Yeah, I was fucked because I knew what would make people not want to work on this Absolutely. project. Absolutely. That's right. You know, so then I said, we're going to socially distance. And we did mm -hmm. it and we got the first one done. We did the whole thing in one day mm. and knocked it out the park. And so now I give that to my editor and then my color correctionist and then my sound guy. So now I'm ready for project number two. So I think maybe three weeks later, we jumped into the next project. Now the second project, Fat Stripper, at first I wasn't going to star in it. 
because I was like, just focus on directing. But then my manager, Gwendolyn, said, you need to star in this. And I said, okay. So I mm. thought about it. I said, all right. I said, plus, that'll save me money in the budget. Come on. Because, you know, I pulled this money out of my pocket to do these projects. Absolutely. So I said, this will save me money in the budget. So, because mm. Gwendolyn invested in just us, and I invested in Fat Stripper. Mm. So, you know, so now I'm like, okay, so I'll be the lead. What I didn't realize was how I just doubled my workload because you can't be in front of the camera and behind the camera at the same time. <laughs> Spike Lee made it look super easy, didn't he? <laughs> he sure you, did. You remember when Eddie Murphy filmed Harlem Nights? He was like, man, I may never do this again because he realized yeah, yeah, that being in yeah. front of the camera yeah, and behind yeah. the camera, yeah. that, that's a whole nother thing, right? So what did you learn yeah. from, from that? Yeah, experience? I mean, whoo, I learned... <laughs> that if you're gonna be in front of the camera and behind the scenes, you need a real budget because yes. you need time to set these shots up. You need time mm -hmm. because the most difficult part, because by me being a star of it, I was in every scene. Mm -hmm. So at least Spike, Spike was a smaller part. He wasn't in every scene in his feature. Denzel said the same thing when he directed The Great Debaters. So yeah. what I learned was, you have because I have to keep jumping in and out of character, so I got to go mm -hmm. from the main character to the director, then I got to jump right. back into character, right? So it's like you're wearing so many hats that oh, it's just a lot. So I would need a real budget because we did mm. Fat Stripper in two half days. Ooh. So I, if I had a real budget, I would have done four days because I would have spent a whole day in just the strip club. But you made you it know, happen, though. Yeah, but you made it happen. I, made, I mean, in the spirit. Yeah, but, of but there was a lot of angles that I couldn't get. There was a lot of angles that I couldn't get, and some scenes that I had to completely cut out. And so mm. there was some some short shortcuts I had to take due to time constraints and money constraints that would have made it a better a better project. But you know, but I, you, I bet it was yeah. what it had to be, though, because yeah. you remember Sweet Sweet Back? I mean, I'm kind of dating myself. Melvin Van Peebles, I mean, yes, he used the environment. If there was a fire truck really coming down the street, hustling out of the, the off the block, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> that's that made it into the final cut of the film. It's like, hey, <laughs> I got to use the elements. Can you talk to me a little bit about the world of the the world of comedy for a sister. I mean, mm. we know how hard it is for the for, for the for the fellas. I mean, black comedians, mm. black comedy in general, is mm. often considered to be the gold standard for the art form. But mm. it's the sisters that still are subjected um, to the to the patriarchy of of any industry that they uh, dare to be a part of, and it's still a mm. male dominated industry. So, can you talk to us a little bit about the terrain, mm. of the uh, landscape for a sister? <laughs> doing comedy yeah. in your realm? What's that like? Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a very lonely profession because it's just like with anything else, we always act like there's not enough to go around for whatever reason. That it might mm -hmm. be because we're African-Americans and we feel like only one African-American at a time gets to make it. And That's it doesn't even matter what field it's in. You'll notice that in every field. Like it could be an acting. There's only one hot black actor, at a, actor or actress yep. at a time. Absolutely. You know, and then once they fall off or move out of the way, there's a new one black male actor or black female actor at a time. Mm -hmm. Even in the music industry, Beyonce didn't become hot till Aaliyah died. You know what I'm saying? There's always yeah. one person that has the crown and then somebody else gets it for whatever reason. Uh, Kevin Hart blew up after Cat Williams 
sort of went away. Mm -hmm. You know True. what I'm saying? Because Cat was the man. So it's like, right. it seems like it's always one. And when it comes to Black women, Black women have not gotten their just desserts to this day. There was a Kings of Comedy, then there was the Queens of Comedy. Queens, yeah. And I was told that the treatment, the treatment of the Queens of Comedy was different than the Kings of Comedy. Mm. You know, I talked to the Queens and they were saying their accommodations were different. You know, the Kings were sent in limos and they had to fight to get theirs. The Kings were given Rolexes and they had to fight to get a Timex watch. Like they told me all kinds of stuff and how they, they were treated differently than the Kings of Comedy. You mm. know, so it's always that kind of thing that you have to deal with when you're a black female. The one thing about male comics, they will team up. It'll be 10 of them, 10 males. They will hang out together. They will help each other. They will hook each other up. There's not a woman in sight. So you don't have that same cluster of women hanging together, looking out for each other, hooking each other up. So it's just, it's a longer road and a tougher terrain. It's not impossible, but you're going to have some nicks and scrapes and bumps and bruises. Leslie Jones had been doing comedy for 20 some years before she got SNL. All them heavy hitting men knew about her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was the reason she got on SNL was because Chris Rock called Lauren Michael. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. think about what we need to accomplish in order to make it on stuff. We need somebody at an A plus list level to mm -hmm. pick up the phone and make a call for us to get that break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't even be that deep. No, Your should. talent should be enough. Yeah, it should. I mean, you're absolutely right. And you're so correct that it, it's it's evident in every single industry, even my profession and education. You know, I'm a psychologist and you can count the number of black psychologists on one hand, but you can count the number of black male psychologists. Uh, you, you can't even count it on one finger because it, it's a very, very small, minute number. And so wow. I'm just wow. wondering about the intentionality of the, the network among sisters in comedy. Is that how much intentionality is there with that? Is it because there you, you talk about sometimes it takes somebody that's maybe a rung up on the ladder and they're able to pull a sister up. But mm. is and you say the fellas get together and is it mm. what? So what, what else prevents the sisters from doing the same thing? Because sisters are some of the most organized people on the planet. It's black women that you talk about Georgia turning blue. Sisters are the most organized people on the planet. And everybody knows that. So how different is it in the world of comedy, though? Well, I think a lot of women are very insecure. Mm. And for a whole lot of reasons, it could be body issues. It could be daddy issues. It could be, you know, I don't speak proper English and this one does or yeah, it could be anything. I'm not thin and this one is. And it's mm -hmm. so many issues with black female comedians that mm -hmm. it keeps us from joining forces. If we all join forces, we mm -hmm. would be the most powerful force there is. But you'll just see, like, let's take, for instance, let's take, for instance, an A-lister to a high B-lister mm -hmm. female, black female stand-up comic. Okay. Just watch the little things. Mm -hmm. You can look at their Twitter. They will only comment or retweet things that other A-lister or B-plus lister Black female comics tweeted. They're not going to retweet a smaller comics tweet. Like, she ain't getting my fan base. You know, that kind oh, of thing. It could be something okay. that simple. They only respond to and reply to each other. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, 
it's, it's, it's very calculated on a lot of levels. It is all based on um, trying to keep somebody else from getting something. Hmm. And it's a rough way to live. Like if somebody tweets something to me, I don't care if it's something I want to retweet, I'm going to retweet it. It's hmm. not going to be like, oh, you're not, uh, you, you haven't been on a network show, so I'm not going to retweet this. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying <laughs> and that's, then don't, the, yeah. that's the implied vibe. It, they're not explicitly saying that, but that that's that feels right. like that's the vibe, though. Yeah, and 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 you can see it. You can see it's empirical. All you got to do is mm. go look at their pages. Okay, you know, and then and and then and, and say for instance, you're a black female director, and mm. you're trying to team up with some other black female directors who have a longer resume than you. Yeah, nine times out of ten, they're not going to help you because they look at you as competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know it's just sad it's just sad i wish it weren't that way i know but i'm trying to think because uh you mentioned howard university i you i know you you saying that did you were you a student at howard are you a, a hbcu alumnus no no i just i was at the no i was at the i was at the children's theater my mother got a okay. degree from howard okay, i'm a university cool. of maryland college park I, I graduated from maryland college park right on well, I ask because it, it takes, I mean, it, it's such a overused phrase, but it, it really does take a village. And you would think that even during a time like uh, a 2020, like we're just coming out of and like we just came out of and you know, embarking upon 2021 now, there was this sense for a moment. Uh, and, and if it didn't hit in March, Alicia, it was definitely in effect by the time of Breonna, well, Breonna Taylor was in March. So I would say George Floyd for sure. When George Floyd, when that whole thing blew up and we're already sheltering in place where everybody's uh, suffering, trying to keep working, trying to keep money coming in. And then everybody's watching their television uh, and, and witnessing what happened to George Floyd. And so for a minute, for those three to four weeks and you know, for the rest of the year, black people were united. Like I had never seen before, never mm -hmm. seen before. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, industry-wise, I'm wondering how much of that similar circling of the wagon did you sense, you know, as a, a creative force, knowing that you had a shared uh, interest as an artist to be able to somehow continue to finance your sustenance. I mean, like you said, LA mm -hmm. ain't I mean, if you're living in LA, mm -hmm. uh, you, you're, you're paycheck to paycheck. And yeah. it's, it's it's hand to mouth and and, yeah. it, and and no shame in the game. It's not even a judgment. It's like I know it. I'm from LA, yeah. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> it's just hard down there. It's hard yeah. down there. And so, did you? Can you recall a moment where there was a circling of the wagon? Though I mean, I hear what you're saying mm -hmm. with Twitter feed, and I, I hear and I believe you. You know, when you when you when you highlight the empirical uh, mm -hmm. evidence that the, the the lack of support doesn't appear to be there. But was there ever a moment, like in the wake of George Floyd at least, where you sense that Black people in comedy were, were riding for each other a little bit differently, a little bit more intensely, with, with mm. more intention to stick together and pull each other up? Was there ever a moment yeah. when you experienced that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everybody was so shaken by the watching this man get murdered for nine minutes on camera. I think it, it rocked everybody. Everybody that sang was pretty much rocked by seeing something like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was talking to my dad about that. And remember when that off 
officer had his knee on Floyd's neck and he had his hand in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And everybody thought he was just chilling like uh, just another day yeah. in the neighborhood. When I talked to my father, my father said, no, his hand wasn't just in his pocket. He said he was using his his hand to push down on his knee um, and his thigh to increase the pressure. He that. said, that's an old trick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said mm-hmm. he was he was applying more pressure with that hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, wow. I said, yeah. this demon, you mm-hmm. know, so mm-hmm. everybody's watching this and everybody, it felt like the nation was really coming together, not just comics, but everybody seemed to be, you know, the marches in different cities and everybody was on one accord, I say for a good 30 days. And for mm-hmm. comedians, I think everybody was just more conscious of what we need to do together as a people to rise, which means we need to spend our dollars on more black owned uh, companies and pay more attention to what we're doing with our money and and really try to uplift and, and you know, and, and not beat each other down and try to find right. the positivity and be more of a community. Now, I don't know how that's gonna translate into dollars, uh-huh. but I do know that people wanna patronize black things, black projects, black owned apps and, and streaming mm-hmm. services. And we're way more woke now about the yes. things we need to do because of the income inequality that Absolutely. also came to the surface because of this, the medical treatment and inequality. A lot of a lot of things were blown wide open with this this between COVID and police brutality. There mm-hmm. had to be a reckoning at some point. We still have a long way to go. Now, yeah. how that translates into comics, female comics work. Mm-hmm. The male comics are already working together, but how that translates into the female comics work together. Female comics, from what I've seen, are too competitive with one another. Hmm. That that's the tweet right there. Just too competitive. I, I was waiting for you to add on to it, but that's the tweet right there, right? Just too competitive. Yeah. So too competitive. Before I let you go, I'm I'm gonna ask you, you know, what what we can do further about that. But to to a point you made a second ago, uh, when it just comes to a reckoning, uh, it, you are so right because I remember. I mean, we this is a you know, <laughs> this is, my show airs on a gospel station, but they know my show ain't gospel. But you know, uh, I have a, a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor sometimes. But this this isn't funny. But you know, with, with regard to the reckoning, I remember seeing articles. Even it, it was like every industry was speaking up now. You know, every industry was sharing their Me Too stories about the inequality you just mentioned and the mistreatment and the microaggression that they've been experiencing all along. And mm-hmm. I never saw it more uh, resounding. Because uh, you know you, you're talking about your film Fat Stripper, I was reading articles on the pornography industry and African American men and women in porn and how they mm-hmm. are disproportionately treated, how they're disproportionately mm-hmm. compensated for the same mm-hmm. work. I mean, it's basically, and again, I'm sorry, people listening to this <laughs> radio station, but you're basically just having sex on camera. I mean, what's the big difference in 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 the pay? And they would just talk about the the level of discrimination and the racism and the, the utter just hatred and just disregard for the value of, of black lives uh, yeah. even in that industry. So I can only imagine, I can only imagine what it must be like for a sister in comedy. But this is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Mom School. I'm DJ Rome. I'm really getting into this conversation with this good sister here. This is uh, Alicia Cooper, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, she Hello. has a project out there. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, just Us is one of them, as well as Fat Stripper. 
Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for being here. Oh, uh, oh, and can I say one more thing? Yeah, I want to tell people where go they ahead. can watch both of them. Yes, indeed. Yes, go ahead. You can actually right now watch both of them as a double header, two for the price of one, mm. by going to a website called FleeLeeTV.com, F-L-E-E-A-L-E-E-T-V.com, and just look for Alicia Cooper. It'll say double header, fat stripper, just us. And you can see both of those films for the price of one right beautiful. now on fleeleetv.com. Beautiful, beautiful. Final thoughts from you. Um, what more can we do? What more can- Yeah, uh, final thoughts. Uh, uh, stay, yeah. stay away from the porn industry. <laughs> <laughs> they're, oh undercutting. they're undercutting. They're undercutting. <laughs> they're undercutting. Yes, they undercutting. They're undercutting down there at the hey. porn industry. Right. I, I, was, hey. I was getting ready to become a fluffer till you told me that. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> they don't pay well. It doesn't. They don't compensate the the black fluffers right. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know how porn is going to continue in social distancing. How are you going to be six feet apart uh, having sex? Well, so that's going to be interesting, real quick. Yeah, interesting. yeah. So yeah, um, I want to see this. I want to see this post-COVID porn. It's, it's going to so, be different. Uh, but <laughs> it's going to be different. You know, for the, they're going to have on gloves and hands. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, since we're on this station, it's gonna be husbands and wives wearing gloves and wearing shower caps. Husband and wives masks. You know, you know, and masking up, you know, and making love, you know, not having sex. They're gonna be making love, all right, to their husband and wives. But uh <laughs> how much of a sense do you have of uh, a tribe and a family that you have in the world of black female comedy that you could ride into and give some people some optimism for that in the year of 2021? I'm at the beginning of my tribe stage because all I'm looking for is a really good agent and I'm taking agent meetings the whole month of January. Right and on. hopefully I can come away with something that's a really good fit because mm. if you don't get the right fit and you're stuck, I, I don't really want a contract. And if I do get a contract, it can't be for more than one year. And it has to have a clause in there that says if we don't get work in four months, four consecutive months, we can null and void this contract Ooh, because okay. there's no need of us, you know, collecting dust on a shelf. Right. If you don't have the juice because sometimes you don't know that the person you're with doesn't have the juice until you sign the contract. So right. I don't have the, the team yet. I, luckily for me, I have Gwendolyn who does assist and she's very good with discussing business things and business opportunities and giving excellent advice. But I now need the person whose job it is to go out and procure work for me. 2020 was a doozy, as they say, but in 2021, uh, the sun is going to rise and set on you, my good sister. And uh, oh, thank wish you, you so much. And your success to you. You're welcome to come back here anytime you like. Why don't you tell us again mm -hmm. before you go where we could find uh, Just Us as well as Fat Stripper. Can you tell us that again, please? Yes, uh, Just Us and Fat Stripper are both on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. They're usually like Just Us, the movie, or Fat Stripper, the movie. Um, yeah. So look for those pages, please. And my page is Alicia Cooper, A-L-Y-C-I-A-C-O-O-P-E-R on Twitter and Alicia Cooper 2, the number two on Instagram. So yeah, just keep up with me and that way I can let you know what's going on. And don't forget to hit up FleeLeadTV.com to see the films are getting really great reviews. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I wanna thank you for joining us for this first episode of 2021. 
Check back with us. We shall return next week. We are here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. I also want to thank our very special guests, Journey Woodward, Jackson Woodward, and of course, the good sister, Alicia Cooper. Be sure to check out our films, Just Us, as well as Fat Stripper. Also want to send a very special shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. We're off and running with 2021. We'll see you next week, y'all. Take care. <laughs>